I'm Father Roderick, and welcome to another episode of The Walk. It is a very cold, freezing Friday morning, or at least... No, it was morning. It's now afternoon. You hear the bells tolling of the St. Joseph's Church because there is a, a funeral in about 20 minutes. Well, actually, 15 minutes. And I'm uh, going for a walk. I've been working this morning and I need to get some fresh air and I heard from my occupational therapist that is the word that I was looking for last week that it's okay for me to uh, to do walks um, as long as I stop when I get too tired or when my heartbeat is too high and also I have to Learn to walk slowly and to bike slowly. <laughs> Which is something that is just not in my nature. And maybe that is a, an important thing for me to master. To uh, adapt my, um, my effort to the circumstances and not pushing myself too hard. That is difficult because I've always... Well, like I mentioned last week, I've always been pushing myself very hard. But now it is time to be obedient, otherwise I won't get better. I'm wearing my Harry Potter scarf for the first uh, time this winter. And my hands are freezing. I used to have these cool gloves that uh, Lynn sent me, uh, I think two years ago. They were great for running. But then uh, I lost one of them. At one point, I think I put them in my pocket during a run, and then uh, one of them fell out. And that was a very long run. I think it was like a 30-kilometer run or something like that. So I, I had no idea where, where the glove fell out. And I, that was towards the end of winter. And I never got around buying a new pair of gloves. But I may have to do that because my hand is already cold, and we've just started the walk. Um... Another thing that uh, the uh, uh, occupational therapist told me was, and that was already last week, that I really should try to find ways to, um, to lighten the workload for the next four to eight weeks. Um, because according to her, one of the reasons that I'm still dealing with so many side effects of, uh, of COVID is that the system has not had time to rebalance uh, and because I didn't take any rest. I was just, after three weeks, even when I was sick and had a fever and was in the midst of COVID, I still, every week, took about a 12-hour day to to edit a television show which is actually totally idiotic now that I think of it but uh, it's this inner will I think to deliver to show that I can do things etc um, that, that pushes me way over my over my limits and I've been doing quite a bit of soul searching lately you know, what is it that makes me choose work over health? Um, and 
at first, the first few answers that I found were just superficial ones, not going to the core. The, the most obvious one is, well, hey, it pays, right? It pays the bills. Every show that I cannot deliver <clears throat> will result in them using one of my old shows and doing a, a repeat showing of, of an old episode and I won't get paid. Not that I get paid formally. It's Tridio that gets paid and so they can pay me and they can pay Inga and we can keep uh, doing what we do. So I feel like, well, if I don't make this episode, you know, we're, we're, we're going to miss revenue. But then I thought about it some more and my own board members have told me many times what good is it <clears throat> to generate revenue if your health suffers you're, you are much you're worth much more than the, than the products that you deliver and if your health goes down the drain then you won't be able to do anything which I've always you know, intellectually known is absolutely true and I would tell anyone the same but I've been unable to convince myself to listen to that, <laughs> to that advice. Um, and I'm not the only one. I, I, in the family, we're, we're all a bit like this. We're all hard workers. My dad was way worse than I. He was always working. And it's only now that he is uh, in this care center. And he has not much to care about that you can see him calm down and uh, he, he, he's got his sense of humor back and he seems happy and there's not one single moment during the day that he thinks of you know I should work he completely let it go and I think that enabled his true character to show much more than when he was still you know, doing so much or maybe also aware of what he perceived the world needed him for. But it doesn't mean that his life now is uh, without meaning or that he is not, not of any value anymore. Quite on the contrary. In many ways, my dad right now is a reminder to me, an, an example of the fact that life is about so much more than just the income that you generate or the or, or or the what you mean to other people even you know the stories that you tell products that you deliver so if i know that and i realize that i have a dad who shows that in his current you know phase of his life why can't i stop myself and take it easy the other day I was uh, talking on my regular show about this uh, 4K remaster of uh, the, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit trilogies. And uh, there was a comparison video that I saw on YouTube where they show uh, the, the difference in quality of the footage they shot in the Shire. And you remember, there's this one scene at the beginning of the story of the Lord of the Rings where we see the forest and, and Frodo is sitting with his back against the tree 
reading a book. That for me has always been the quintessential dream of the quiet life, you know, life that is happy because because of its simplicity in a certain way. Just the Shire, a place to sit, a book to read, and the 4K transfer looked even more gorgeous and more peaceful. It was almost three-dimensional. You can imagine yourself sitting there also reading a book. And uh, I've always dreamed of a life that would... uh, would have these times of, of quiet peace and just um, the, 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 the days where you can just lose your sense of time and you don't have to constantly be reminded by your smartwatch of the next appointment or the uh, upcoming deadline. And it's so contradictory that even though that is one of the, the, the things that I would like to be part of my life that I constantly do the opposite of what, I, what I'm actually secretly striving for. And it doesn't mean that I want to sit my entire life with my back against a tree, like the ones here next to the path on which I'm walking, um, because I have those trees. I have a beautiful, um, uh, uh, well, not a park, but it, it definitely um, the, the, I'm on, on, the, on the, the edge of the city. So there are so many places where I can just be in a natural environment and just like now, just walking and enjoying nature. It's not that I only want to do that. I, I, working and telling stories and being creative is also a source of, of great joy. But of course, the question is, does it have to be at that pace? And then, of course, the next question I ask myself is, So what are you afraid of? Because if you do something that you actually don't really want to do, or at least not in that intensity, if it's affecting your health, if everybody tells you, slow down, don't overdo it, the world will also turn without you for a while, (laughs) or actually entirely, (laughs) then... The reason often is fear to stop doing what you do. And I think that this is all kind of part of that soul-searching exercise. Um, I was thinking, you know what? I actually know the answer to this question. The fear is the fear of not being in control of my future. The fear is to at one point hit rock bottom not having the income to um to finance my, my well just the, the the food on the table um the roof above my head and the work that I would love to do and if i don't i can't pay those bills anymore and i ge- don't generate enough income then someone else will tell me what to do <laughs> And I will have to let go of the things that I strive for. And it's, it's always been very black and white. Fear is never very nuanced. Fear is always a black and white reaction. Because in reality, and I know this intellectually, it's never black and white like that. It's not that 
either I work, you know, 12, 14 hour shifts every day um, and continue this lifestyle and be safe, or um, I don't work at all, I get fired, nobody uh, hears of me anymore, and I have zero income, and I will live in a box under, under a bridge. Of course, both extremes are, are not realistic, and yet I'm constantly pushing myself towards that first extreme situation where I do way too much and I don't allow myself um, these times of rest and recovery in this case um, or education or, or you know reading a book or creativity without a deadline because um, because of the fear that I would lose that too if if I don't deliver if I don't work every day so it's I think of um, a very irrational fear that I can't stop working because then everything goes down the drain. And life has a funny way, you could also say providence has a funny way to sometimes course correct this line of thought or this lifestyle and push you in another direction. And I think that me getting sick with COVID, even though I don't ever think that you know someone getting ill is the will of God, but uh, quite on the contrary, Jesus is a healer and shows us the Father, so God is a healer too. But I do believe that sometimes difficult situations can be permitted, can be even in some mysterious way be part of God's will um, to show you an alternative or to wake you up. That's the way the Bible always reads catastrophic events and wars and famine and and uh, uh, plagues they're reinterpreted as something that can also reveal God's will and then you have to see God's will not in the catastrophic events or in the sickness but in those situations revealing what God truly wants the direction he wants his people to take so that's how I try to interpret my current situation. And that is maybe the fact that my doctor and the te- therapist now tell me you have to get rid of the workload. Um, otherwise, you won't improve. You won't get your health back. Is uh, It's something that is now unavoidable. I have to take action on this. And I have this past week. And there have been some other developments that are going way further than that even. Um, So let me just start with taking a rest. So what what did I do in order to to lessen the workload? First thing, I think I've already shared this, is that I asked the parishes, hey, you rescheduled me for two masses on Sunday, sometimes also one on Saturday. And then I have the International Mass. That is way too much. I can barely get through one Mass in the morning. And then the International Mass, fortunately, there's usually some time beforehand, and it's around noon, so that is, that's okay. But it's, it, I really have to uh, give up on my ambition to 
immediately be fully functional again. So they listened to that and until the end of the year I have only one Mass on Sunday for the parish. That's step number one. Step number two, when it comes to my television work, I knew that uh, the uh, season was ending and that there is a break of three weeks between this season and the next one. It doesn't mean that I can sit back and relax. Quite on the contrary, it means that I have three weeks to produce a number of new episodes. I'll let this uh, tractor pass me by. Here, it's quite a bit of traffic here on these country roads. Oh, there's another one. Another big one. I think they're making everything, you know, ready for the winter, maybe. Working, uh, I don't know, getting rid of the stuff on the fields. These are big guys. Always a bit intimidating when they come at full speed towards you. I'm always like, oh, I hope you see me because, well, there is no pavement here on the sides. Just uh, uh, some water and some mud. So far, so good. As long as you hear me talking, everything is okay. <laughs> um, so the, 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 what I was worrying about was if I really have to take it easy... I shouldn't go out for an entire day, you know, travel, I don't know, like last time, like five hours in, by car to get to a place and then film an entire day outside on my bike, lugging around equipment, interviewing on the spot, trying to piece it all together and then also, you know, running short of time because it, in this season, the sun is setting so early that you only have a few hours in the afternoon before it gets dark and too dark to film. So, for these last two episodes, uh, the last one that I filmed was in Amsterdam, which was last Saturday, I think. Time flies by. Uh, it was another, it was a, a day just like this. It was misty, it was cold in Amsterdam, and uh, had a ton of things to film in just a few hours. So I came back very tired, um, had my Sunday with all the masses, and then uh, t Monday and Tuesday, it was the same thing as the week before. I was so completely broken that I had to sleep a lot and couldn't work, and, and so everything came down to the last day, the Wednesday, and I did another, you know, 12-hour day editing, probably even longer at one point. You just, <laughs> you don't want to watch, you don't want to look at the clock anymore because it's, you know, mid past midnight, I got the work done, but I was telling myself, this is, I'm even more behind now because I've got two Christmas episodes to film, but I've already used up more than my reserves this week, so I don't see myself filming anywhere right now. I can't, I just physically can't do another day of filming, and I've got two more of those days that I have to do, plus... This is the the COVID crisis in the Netherlands is worsening again, even though we had some very strict measures uh, put in place a few weeks ago. People are just probably I don't know negligent or don't pay attention enough. So the rate of infection is still increasing to the extent that many events are now getting cancelled, including a lot of Christmas events. So. A lot of the ideas that I had 
to go film were impractical or cancelled or whatever. So ultimately, again, I was like, how do I solve this? I need to cut down on the work. I'll just make a clip show, <laughs> which is a, a very common thing to do, especially around this time. Most news programs just bombard you with these... Uh, this was the year 2020. The COVID crisis. Trump, Biden, blah, blah, blah. It's just... <laughs> rehash everything they filmed during the year. So it's like, well, you know, this is not something new. This is a convention on television. There's probably a good reason for that. People are preparing for Christmas. They're in a rush. They're running out of time, maybe also out of money. So a clip show is a, is an easy way to still provide people with uh, um, something they can watch. Um, it can give you the highlights so it's enjoyable. You just take the, the good stuff. Plus, I had already uh, filmed back in the days, like in the beginning of the season, um, some extended interviews with some questions also about Christmas. I was at this uh, at the beginning of the of the filming uh, weeks, kind of already thinking ahead. Well, maybe I can just ask him a few questions about Christmas. Maybe I can somehow use that in a in the in the Christmas episode. So I'm glad that I have at least some new material and then I'm just writing some voiceovers to uh, give it more thematic unity. And then it still took me 12 hours to patch it all together. So it was definitely more work than I expected. But the result is that I really um, saved myself uh, this the physical aspect of, of producing an episode. Plus, I have enough material for another one of those Christmas episodes. And I'm, I've already done two pieces that I wanted to put in the first episode, and then I just had too much material, so I have leftovers now that I can use and serve them, uh, serve them as a Christmas dinner in the next episode. So I was actually quite content. It's not, of course, as exciting as producing new content, but... Uh, it's usually this is the same with podcasts you, n- nobody listens everything uh nobody watches every single youtube in the feed you just pick and choose and so, sometimes you just miss something and it will show up in your timeline or through the algorithm you'll get to see it sometimes weeks later it's like how did i miss this i have that with net with netflix all the time there's now this new function on netflix where if you don't know what to watch, you just press a randomizer. And sometimes it shows me stuff that I didn't even know was on Netflix. And so I, I just uh, assume that the same is true for my TV show. I'm going to turn left here. My hand is freezing off. You know what? I could switch hands. I have actually have two hands. Why didn't I think of that? I could put the other one in my pocket and warm it up. <laughs> Get some life back into those fingers and hold it in my right hand as I turn left and... Uh, leave the small town of Hoeverlaken and now I'm I'm walking north uh, through the fields the green fields of the beautiful countryside there's a very cute old farm here on my right with a straw uh, roof which is a bit mossy right now probably should be replaced soon and then there is a slightly newer farm and they it's really like a hobbit type of setting or something you would see in Middle-earth with the red brick stones and then black woodwork 
and nice old orange tiles on the roofs and they've already put up some uh, Christmas lights which is rare in this in this country you see it in cities nowadays but especially here on the countryside it usually is like here on the farm it's just a, a star with uh, some light nice uh, no home alone type of decorations here <laughs> so um, I was I was glad that in that way I could uh, at least slow down a little bit for the the last part of this year but then I was looking ahead and thinking well in these three weeks this is the coldest time of the year it's also the darkest time of the year with not much time to film how am I going to do this all by myself while I actually get the very uh, urgent uh, advice to to slow down or maybe even partially uh, call in sick so um, the what I did was I, I, I put out a request for some help uh, to get some extra funding to be able to hire someone to help me film and also help me with the editing just for a few episodes. Hopefully they will grant that, uh, that request. We'll see. And in any case, what I decided to do was to, uh, you know, just slowly... Uh, start working on uh, re-editing my uh, journey through China that I made with my mom and uh, of, of which we only aired I think 20 minutes maybe not even like 15 minutes of material but I had hours and hours and hours of gorgeous material still filmed with an old camera but still it's, you know, part of the world that you rarely ever see. And it's not just the touristical highlights. We really went into deep into the mainland of China. It was a wonderful adventure. And I've never really been able to sit down and, and turn that into a story with the editing skills that I currently have. So I figured, well, you know, I don't have to travel anywhere. I have this beautiful material. This is something that was on my list for years. So why not turn that into... My Harry Potter scarf is blowing in the wind. Uh, I have to put it back. Um, so you know, it, it, it is it is a nice way to just work on a story that I enjoy, and it's still work, but it's you know it also feels like a hobby in a certain way. I can do this and enjoy it, hopefully. Um, so that is, for me, a way to create some extra margin. And I really hope that I, I will be able to hire some extra help for the, for the TV show. Because I've got 15 more episodes to produce. And uh, for like half, starting in the second half of January, it will be this you know, 15-week race against the clock. Meet, trying to meet those deadlines. There is not a single break in between those episodes. Um, yeah, it's, it's what TV life is all about. But in a way, it also has really pushed me, uh, to, to think on my feet, uh, to, to uh, become way more efficient than I've ever been in, in, in making these shows. So I'm pretty proud of what I've been able to accomplish this year, even though I still think that it has 
the price was a little bit too high. <laughs> the personal price that I paid. Um, but then, wait, there is more. When I uh, was talking about providence sometimes intervening to change the course of your life and change, you know, point you in a different direction than you initially thought you should go. Um, since I'd been thinking about those values and what do I want my life actually to look like? How do I want to feel? There, um, uh, my good friend Cliff Ravenscraft recorded an episode of his podcast uh, about this soul-searching process that he was in. And he was very, in, um, how would you say that, intrigued by uh, a question that came up in uh, a, an online event with uh, Tony Robbins, where he was asked to think about you know, there there are goals that you set yourself. There are things you want to accomplish. And that's all good. But ask yourself, what is actually the result? What is the feeling that I want to have? <laughs> what do I want to feel like? And at first I was like, but that sounds like a bit superficial. Life is about more than feelings. It's also about responsibility and duty and vocation, etc. But ultimately, I'm thinking... The asking for, well, how do you want to feel is a good indicator of the, uh, the, the quality of your... Um, I'm trying to formulate this in a way too complicated way. Um, if you feel good, if you feel at peace, if you feel valued and loved, it's often a sign that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Because God wants us to feel loved. He wants us to know that we're safe. We want, he wants us to be at peace. When we celebrate Christmas, it's all about the King of Peace who is coming to bring peace to the people of goodwill uh, and joy. So, if, so these feelings are right in the heart of the gospel. And so asking for to answer that question, but... You know, all those goals, do they truly bring you that feeling of peace? And I think that feeling is not just an emotional state. It's also you know, this general awareness of, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This is good. I think you can even be at peace and feel loved and uh, feel valued in the middle of a crisis. It does not depend on the circumstance. It does not even depend on your physical health your state of life, your income. So asking for... Think about how you truly feel and how do you feel right now? And what does that tell you about what you're doing and how you live your life and the choices that you make? That really helped me in this process that I was already in. think, well, one of the things that I would like to feel is more at peace, definitely. Um, Feeling loved and valued is very important. But it's also something that I know is, I have an abundance. It's just that I'm still very much triggered by negative reactions from people or or negative behavior. So you tend to forget that you're loved, but that doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't feel like that. It's a matter of taking a different look at your life or, you know... Um, Focusing on the right stuff and, 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 well, all the things that I've been talking about over the past few months here on the show. 
Um, it's about the way you talk about your own life. How do you give words to, to your situation? The, the more negative you talk about your situation and about your options, the more the, the lousier you will feel. But giving positive words to actually what is fundamentally a good situation will help you to see that, to see the goodness of, of, of life. And of, it makes you look at what you have instead of what you still want to have. So anyway, um, I was thinking I want to feel more at peace. I definitely want to uh, get rid of this anxiety that is linked to probably a lack of confidence in my own value, in my own worth. As if if I do less shows for TV, um, people will drop me like a rock. And well, if you only if you don't give us fifteen episodes in the in the months to come, we'll find someone else who can do that. You know, it's a total, totally irrational idea. Of course, this work will at one point in my life come to an end. Maybe even next year, but it doesn't mean that my value is in any way diminished, or what I can do, my talents uh, are are lost all of a sudden. Of course not. Sometimes losing a job or or quitting a job can help you to start something new that will be actually way more on target and helping people and and be more fulfilling. And so my, I think my, my own uh, uh, drive to keep just keep doing this stuff, even though it was killing me, is uh, is probably also uh, coming from this idea. Well, I know what I have, and I just don't like insecurity. Not because I can't live with change, but because I'm just not. I don't have enough confidence in myself and in God and in the people around me that I will be able to handle this change, which is ridiculous. If I realize how much I've changed this year in the middle of a global crisis and how much in this situation I've been able to grow and discover things about myself and get a much clearer vision of what I'm supposed to do and, well all that and how to handle this new situation and how to react to it I've I've learned to evolve with changes without a hitch on the contrary I thought I felt motivated and energetic and I was enthusiastic about what I was doing so if that can happen in the middle of a global pandemic uh, that is beyond anything we imagined at the start of of this year, why am I so afraid to let go of things and why don't I just trust myself more? I would trust myself if I were someone else. That's the weirdest thing. You know, I keep telling myself that I should behave towards myself in the way I behave towards other people. I constantly encourage people, you know, don't worry, it's going to be fine. You'll be great. You're, you have so many talents. You, you'll you find a way. God will find a way. I preach it from, from the pulpit 
And then when I look into the mirror, I was like, oh, you're such a failure. This is never going to work. Just keep doing what you do because, oh my God, the world will end when you stop working, when you don't meet your deadlines. It's rubbish. I should really change my inner dialogue to a more encouraging one. And uh, I think I have the feeling that uh, that God is pushing me in that direction is 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 making some changes doing some course correction to give me that last push to let go and to have even more trust in the talents that he's given me and the value of them but also in his ability to help me find new ways to put those talents to to uh, to good use so What is another thing that I want to feel? Uh, I want to feel alive again. And I know how corny that sounds. And I also know why I'm saying it this way. It's because I've been reading um, the autobiography of uh, Cranston, the guy who plays the uh, chemist, uh, uh, a.k.a. drug producer in, in Breaking Bad. Um, he uh, just reading his life story I wasn't very inspired by the example of his, uh, his life I, I'm, I'm not a fan let's say of, uh, of some of the things that the actor describes in his book but it made me want to rewatch the first season of Breaking Bad and so in that first season you meet a man who is uh, asleep who who feels that he's a failure, who is stuck in this dreary life where every day resembles the last one. And then he gets... Uh, he, he, he already has, has had some coughing going on, so he goes to see the doctor. And he gets the message that he has terminal lung cancer. There's no treatment, and he'll be dead two years from now. That pushes him, and this is all happening in the first episode, some great writing there, some great dramatic writing, pushes him to start using the the knowledge that he has of chemistry, which he now only uh, uses in, in a classroom filled with about 20 completely not interested, not... No- <laughs> students with no motivation whatsoever instead to use this knowledge of chemistry to start producing crystal meth now this is not this this show is not about morality of that because it's the purpose of the story to make you root for someone who actually morally you know is one of the worst people in the world especially at the end of the series but uh it it there is this moment where you see him uh discovering that he's been in this ongoing rat race that didn't do anything for him anymore, uh, where he felt lousy about himself. And now that he had a new purpose in life, and he, he made this drastic change, driven by fate, basically, that, was, that he felt more alive than ever, which is very contradictory that when he has basically had a death sentence... He feels more alive than ever, and it gives him incredible energy to do the worst stuff, but still energy, you know? So, 
and I, I was thinking in in a certain way uh, that is how that is what I long for when it comes to my priesthood as well I'm I've never regretted one single minute of my life that I have been ordained a priest. I truly believe that it is my vocation, that God wants me to be a priest. But I've also felt the weight, especially these last few years, of uh, a situation where the the church let's say the, the the church that we're used to the church that i grew up in is in very rapid decline it's only accelerated even more in uh during this covid crisis but the this corona year has also revealed i think some fundamental weaknesses in the way that we are conducting our business and how much we are not actually doing what we're supposed to do um, we're not evangelizing. We're not teaching people. We're not putting the flock first. In many ways, the reaction to, in many places all over the world, I see the same. All over the world, faith, the faithful, the church has been reacting uh, by trying to keep the boat afloat. <laughs> and they discover that since they've never invested in social media, in streaming, in, you know, reaching out through new forms of communication. They've been solely relying on Sunday Mass, if you know, in your neighborhood. And all those existing structures and approaches are no longer working. They are impossible right now. Even if they would work, you can't put them in practice and you have no alternative. There are no other existing communication channels with the flock and so a lot of that flock is now completely evaporated and you, maybe they'll, people come back, you never know but it's not likely and I've also seen like everywhere in society this year has taken a toll on people, right? And another big truck an empty truck that is a truck for pigs even though we don't have that many pigs in the area. There's more chicken country here. We've got these big chicken farms, but it's more to the, you know, in the opposite direction of where I'm walking. But um, the, the, our patience is, is, is uh, limited. Uh, we're quickly irritated by how things go, and an irritation, of course, provokes irritation by other people. Um, and you see that also, I think, in the church. Uh, there is a, a bit of a disarray, like, this is never going to fly, and this is not going to work. So let's just keep doing what we do, even though we can only have 30 people in church. And then, well, we don't even think of the hundreds of people that are not going to church and will not go to church anytime soon. We're only just, we have this irrational hope that, well, maybe they will return. We don't know. What can you do? Well, that last question, I think, is the main question. What can you do? That is a question that we should have asked ourselves years ago. I often felt um, a voice who call, that calls in the desert in a sense that from the get-go, when I was first starting the priesthood and I was 
discovering the potential of the internet. Uh, I started building websites later on the podcast and YouTube and whatnot. Always trying to find an audience instead of waiting for the audience to show up. And I, if you've been listening to me for a few years, you know how often I was the only one who did that. And it was not really considered to be important or urgent or even wanted. I've had quite a, a bit of resistance um, but mostly it was indifference. It's like, well, that's, yeah, Father Roderick with this media stuff. Oh, well, let him muck around in his uh, digital corner as long as it doesn't prevent him from serving the parishes and doing his job. Which has been frustrating because, not that I'm a prophet or anything, but I felt that this is this is just something we need to embrace. This gives us so much more uh, venues to help people and to be close to them. Well, of course, the corona year has put that to the test, the current situation, and it, I think it has revealed that the most churches are pretty lousy at, <laughs> at, at reaching people when their, their traditional offerings are no longer available are just too dangerous and you know churches are closed for months well now we realize that we don't we didn't have a plan b we don't have other venues well and and thankfully i've realized well i've got plenty of those and i've tried as much as i could to to deploy them also in the parish but with various results and now that I, this is the end of the year, so it's a good time to also evaluate so where, how far did we come. I think we've, you know, really done some, some good stuff that I'm proud of. But I think the lack of focus, uh, I'm trying, you know, to do too, too many projects at once, especially TV work taking up so much time, has also, I think, prevented me from, from maximizing the, the, the results of, uh, of that effort. But... I'm also thinking this is just the beginning. You know, I shouldn't be too hard on myself. We're all, we're all just starting to build things up again from the ground. You can't expect immediate success. Success is always the result of a lot of hard work and also trial and error. But I'm way ahead of many other of my fellow priests and uh, many parishes and dioceses. So I shouldn't complain, really. Um... What I was very disappointed with was that the effort that I put almost full-time for months, you know, helping the parish to stream their masses and to see that over time, they, they nobody really seemed to embrace it. And it was kind of frowned upon as something that was only taking up a lot of money and a lot of time. And couldn't it be done simpler? And so we ultimately, right now, in the, this current situation... We end up with two webcams in two churches and there is images grainy and audio is terrible and the cameras are mounted up on pillars so you're looking down on the altar and it's like every single lesson that we've learned in the first part of this year has been thrown out again. And of course I understand that means are limited and so is knowledge. 
but it is a bit disappointing to see that we have built up a lot of experience and gotten to a certain level of really connecting I think with an audience and uh, nobody is learning from that and the only place where we can still use those the lessons learned is in the international mass that I'm streaming I was hoping that this would catch on and but it didn't it didn't and that is kind of a pattern over the past few years where a lot of the new directions that I am taking and the, 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 the new experiences seem to be very difficult to integrate in the fabric, the existing fabric of the old and tired methods of the church in which I am called to be a priest. And of course, there are thankfully many exceptions to this. And there are great initiatives. And I've been roaming the country on my bike, uh, interviewing people that I do believe are showing new ways uh, and and give us a, an alternative way of of being forming a church in these in these times in which we live but i still have to look for those examples it's not universally uh the case and most of the uh of the church is disintegrating very quickly it's imploding so the ti- the time is near and I think that is when I really dare to be prophetic. The time is nigh that the old structures will really not be around anymore because there will be no one to maintain them. You can have buildings, churches, but if there is not a crew of volunteers that will do the upkeep, very soon you'll lose those buildings. So I think we're heading for a time of new evangelization and also new missionary form of being church. And that may not be in the same way as, let's say, in you know, those Irish monks and in Scotland, these uh, uh, itinerant priests that would just go to villages and build a, little, a small chapel, form a small community, and then move on again and build another church. I don't think that that is maybe the, the strategy of today, but... There are ways to build digital churches and, and communities and, and to create new ways for people to get to know each other, which will then, at least that's the experience shows that, will also develop the desire to meet each other physically. Because friendship always uh, makes that people attract each other, want to be with each other. And so it's... it's, ding, it's uh, completely rethinking from the opposite end of the situation instead of like how can we maintain the structures that were working for the past centuries uh, make the move to well we're a missionary world right now um, we cannot the, our current parish structures are basically almost dying right now they're on life support but the people that need Christ, that need help, the poor that knock on our door, the people that are lonely, etc., etc., they are still there. And there are just as many of them, even if not more in this society, than there were when the church was, you know, in, in peak state. So, start with a flock and think about them and ask yourself, how 
what can I come up with to be closer to these people? And maybe that requires you to step away from the maintenance, life support kind of activity that you're still currently putting 95% of your energy in. I'm not saying that parish work is, um, you know, is not worth anything anymore. And I may have been sometimes too negative about uh, the work of many of my fellow priests that are, you know, just fighting the good fight and trying to do whatever they can to provide people with masses. But it's all about proportion. Um, if your house is on fire and uh, let's say there's also your, your Christmas tree that you planted last year also caught fire you're not going to spend 95% of your time trying to put out the fire of the Christmas tree but you try to do whatever you can to save your house, right? And the, so the, in a if you use in Latin you would say mutatis mutandis so <laughs> if I apply that in a different way to the the big picture if the church is currently um, unavailable to the people that need it need love need God's love and care the most why are you trying to save the Christmas tree and you let the house crumble. Shouldn't you just run away from that tree, go save the house, and then ultimately plant a new tree? Who cares? It's just a tree. And so the, I think the, the reason that we don't do this and that we don't invert the situation, start with the flock, starting with, you know, where are people crying for help and be there with them, is the fact that optically the existing structures still look very powerful and very omnipresent. We still believe that if only we can save the building of the church, we will have saved the church. That's, of course, not true. If it's a bit what Jesus says, what good is it to, to gain the world if you lose your life? Oftentimes I'm thinking, we're working so hard to keep the old... Um, broken system in place that we have lost the soul of it all we've lost the beating heart that should be the only thing that we're focused on all the rest will come by itself you know do we truly seek to build the kingdom of God or are we focusing on the skeleton that was once very needed and may be needed in the future again but right now it is certainly not the churches right now in, in at least in, in the current COVID situation are not the place where everybody can find refuge because if there are more than 30 people we close the doors we say well come back next week <laughs> you know we send people home literally like in the story of the multiplication of the bread should we send them home? No, you go and feed them. Jesus didn't say, well, just take 30 people and feed them and then send the rest home. Feed them all. Well, if that is our mission, the question should not be, how can we use, how can we select 30 people to go to church and then 
we'll just ignore the rest. We'll just do as if they don't even exist, which is kind of what we're doing now. Putting 95% of our time and energy into these feeding these 30 people, that in itself, of course, is very valuable. But proportionally, it's completely wrong. We should ask ourselves, how can we feed the masses? How can we feed the people that are now de- de- deprived of, of, of the presence of the church? How can we bring friendship and comfort in these dark times to people? Well, I have some ideas. So, anyway, that's a big uh, soapbox that I climbed on. <laughs> but those are, for me, um, important questions to ask yourself when you feel that God is uh, kind of nudging you in a different direction thinking well maybe i'm not taking this i'm not taking myself too seriously i'm preaching this on a podcast but do i truly change my life in such a way that 95 percent of my time is invested in finding the flock again or is it still five percent finding the searching for the flock and 95 percent uh caring for the few sheep that are still uh, within the confines of our current structures that's a pretty confronting question and of course what is the reason that I have not followed up my own insights <laughs> or haven't well I, I try of course but not enough I think it's fear it's this fear of losing what I have uh, losing the situation and it's not just me all of us are, are afraid to lose what we have. But fear... <laughs> you know what fear leads to, right? I don't have to reiterate that here. Although I always love an occasion to imitate Yoda. But fear is bad advice right now. It's not, it's not along... You should never think along the lines of fear. But always along the lines of vocation. <laughs> What does God call you to? Come and follow me. These first fishermen that became apostles had no idea what, what they were starting there, where that adventure would lead them. But they followed, nevertheless. They were not fearful. They trusted Jesus. And so that is, for me, the, the most important thing to take with me to the next year. Because things are going to change. Uh, the most important thing, and I'll, I'll keep you in the loop later on when things materialize, but for me, a very important thing right now is to uh, take time off in the new year, right after Christmas, and uh, fully free up my schedule for uh, this recovery process. As long as I have these uh, lingering effects of COVID, I cannot function at peak state, and I cannot be there uh, optimally for the people that I am supposed to serve. That's number one. That will require some pretty drastic uh, measures, and I'm even thinking of uh, completely going away for two weeks um, and go on a retreat, or at least just you know, <laughs> go elsewhere. Um, I st- I'm not sure about that because I also have to look at the entire planning of uh, the upcoming months and see 
um, what I it has to be responsible of course what I do so there are some commitments that I need to guarantee but there are also some possibilities that are more drastic than I thought I could uh, do but more about that in a later episode um, and for, for many weeks and you may have heard me hinting at the situation I've gone through some pretty tough times where I really saw um, where things were going but I didn't want to I didn't want to allow, I didn't want to entertain the thought of where this may lead me there was a lot of fear and anxiety of losing mostly of losing what I have and uh, I think I'm getting over that I think I'll, bit by bit I'm finding my courage again I'm and strangely enough being at the end of the year and looking back on what this year has brought me has given me uh, a lot of confidence in the future as I said I think a few episodes ago this has been an incredible year it's been a horrible year but it's also been a year of grace where I discovered more about myself and about what God wanted than I've done in the past 10 years and I feel alive again and the more I dare to let go of what no longer works and of which I'm thinking life is too short for this <laughs> when I was young I could entertain lots of dreams and lots of different career paths etc but I'm not in that phase of my life right now I need, now I'm at the point where I start to cash in on what is truly the best thing I can give to this world and so that requires me to choose <laughs> to let go of anything that is not congruent with that uh, with that mission so and that in itself the process of mentally letting go because there's still uh, there are two levels I think um, there is the actual situation which oftentimes takes time to change and will be maybe moving around a little bit before the dust settles and you get this new uh, the, uh, this, this new situation but there's also the mental process, which I think is much more important. It's preparing yourself for what is to come and already mentally letting go of something. That's what you actually do whenever you get sick. You realize that I may want to be better, but I have to let go now, and the world will turn without me, whatever happens. So I've, I've come this far why don't I you know why, do, why wouldn't I be around <laughs> when this is over um, and even if for some reason things do not go as planned and we've unfortunately heard so many tragic stories of people uh, succumbing to to, to COVID um, even in those dire situations uh, the challenge is to embrace that your future is in God's hands and that it is safe in God's hands. Uh, I think I shared it with you when, when I was really sick with high fever in the first weeks of uh, COVID that I often was thinking about the finite nature of my life, that it could turn badly, this illness. And 
just heard this story about a priest that I knew from Rome, uh, Richard, Richard Sozman. He was an American priest who worked for a couple of years in the Vatican on the beatification process of um, Venerable uh, Fulton Sheen, the media bishop. And I interviewed him at one point, and then we stayed in touch, and every time I was in Rome, I would bump into him, and we'd have a chat. And he was uh, a, a very interesting priest in the sense that he had two sensibilities that seem opposite. Uh, the one thing was that he loved the Tridentine Mass and the traditional rites uh, and was very uh, skilled in, in... Well, skilled, it sounds as if it's a craft. It's not, of course, but it, he was very familiar with that and would often, in the early hours of the morning, be in Vatican City in the Basilica of St. Peter celebrating Mass according to the Tridentine Rite. But then he was also a geek, and he loved chatting about Star Wars and movies, and uh, oftentimes, uh, even after he went back home to the States, he would post, you know, uh, likes on, on very geeky stuff that I would put on Facebook, for instance. So uh, it was an interesting combination of two worlds. But most of all, I remember him as a very kind person, very patient uh, especially when I was interviewing him for a documentary about Fulton Sheen, and uh, after the and he was in a rush, he had to go to a meeting around lunchtime, and I realized after about ten minutes of interviewing him that my microphone wasn't working, and we had to redo the interview. And <laughs> he was so patient and so kind. Um, so anyway, I heard the news just a few days ago that he died on the same day that Fulton Sheen died December 9th at the age of only 57 and he got COVID despite all his precautions and uh, at first light symptoms and a week later he was uh, brought into intensive care and then a few days later seemed to get through it and was getting better and things were looking good and then he died and that's it and that's tough this is a priest only five years older than I am and so that makes you kind of you know put makes it very um, real that life is can be short and even if it's long it's still short if you look at uh, the age of our universe but anyway it has reminded me that uh, of the fact that I should really ask myself that question that I began this this walk with how do you truly want to feel about yourself and about where you are and what are you f- truly feeling now if you're anxious if you're afraid if you're worried if you're not at peace then maybe it's time to make some changes And to let go of whatever is causing that fear. And that can be in you. can also be circumstances. can also be others. can also be uh, your current state of life. And dare to step away. And also, it's not just stepping away. It's also stepping towards something. And that is to... And that requires listening very carefully 
talking to other people, get advice, and then jumping. You never know for sure that it's the right thing to do, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the world when it doesn't pan out the way you thought it would. If there's one thing we've all learned during this year is that we constantly have to adapt to the situation because we have no control over this virus right now and over our own situation in many respects, but there are things that we can do. But most important uh, virtue, I think, to train in this new year at the start of the at the end of the old year and start of the new year is is faith trust trust that there is someone who guides your life and who has wanted you to be here on this planet and has a plan that is maybe sometimes completely different from what you expect But God's will is bigger than just events that, that happen to you. God's will is also what you can will and what you can choose to change to realize that will of God. Even if it will always be in an imperfect way. But that's not, that's not a problem. We're all just children. <laughs> Par you know, parents can still be proud of their children even if it's not perfect. Anyway. That's what I wanted to share with you. I'm back home. My hand has not frozen off. It's still red instead of blue or purple. So I'm thinking I'm going to post this online. And I wish you a wonderful weekend. Hope you have time to say a prayer for all those that are mourning the loss of uh, Father Richard. And for all those that are currently suffering or uh, in a precarious situation. I pray for you all the time so hopefully we'll see each other soon or well at least you'll hear my voice soon <laughs> thanks for your time and uh see you next time